Peace that, that he's in control. Peace that, that he's listening. Peace that he's got a plan that, that is most likely better than what I had in mind. And I, I've shared this often, and I, I, it's just because I, I'm so excited about what he's done. But some of the best things in my life right now that I'm experiencing are the result of unanswered prayers. Things that I was literally praying against. And I bet we can all say that. You know, and of course we have tough, tough times and rough times and, and some of them are our own doing and some of them are, are things we have of not, no control over. But God's in control. He sees what's going on. And so when we say that, peace, peace, wonderful peace, that's what we're praying for. Because we don't need to ask him to be in control. He's got that, right? Once you ask him to be the Lord of your life, you can turn over all that to him. And that's what should give you peace. Last Sunday, we wrapped up a multi-part message series titled That Thing We Do Wrong. And we were looking at some of the things we do, not only as, as Christians, but as humans, that we approach incorrectly, or either our approach isn't correct, or our motivation isn't true, or our perspective isn't what it should be. And it was not a message of condemnation at all. In fact, rather, it was, it was clarification and accountability. And with all the business of our lives and the influences that come at us from all directions, it was, it was good to recalibrate ourselves to God's word. And despite what can feel like modern society's attempt to disregard God, you know, either deliberately or just as a matter of pride, right? We keep thinking, well, I've got this, I've got this, or, or I'm in control, or if I work harder, or if I do better, then all these things will happen. And despite this kind of you know, unintentional need that we seem to have this or, or society's uh, attempt to kind of move away from recognizing God for who he is. There are many things in our lives that despite that still take their root in him. Because of who God is, what he has commanded and, and what our savior has modeled, we have an innate sense, right? Of what is right or wrong, good or evil. So many of our modern laws are based on the original laws or commandments, People who otherwise claim to be atheists, agnostics, still claim the importance of some basic principles. The golden rule, treat others as, as you want to be treated. That's Matthew 7, 12, Jesus' own words. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. How about love one another, right? Can't we just kumbaya and feel good, just be spiritual and not Christians? Love one another. That's John 13, 34. Jesus' own words. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How about grace and compassion for others? Shouldn't we just be good people, especially those in need? Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with which such sacrifices God is pleased. And James 1, 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. He says, To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How about honoring and respecting your parents? Because all the way back to Exodus 20, 12, right? The very beginning of the Bible. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. God has made some promises to these people. You know, when you say, you want to live long here, you want, you want to enjoy this, you want to... Start by honoring your mother and your father. And Leviticus, also very early in the story of us, in 1913, says, Each of you must respect your mother and your father, and you must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. 
How about this? We know that we should raise our children well, not just because it makes life easier for us and for them, but it's scripture. Proverbs 22, 6, you're probably familiar with this. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it, right? Another translation says they will not depart from it. Again, all the way back, Deuteronomy 6. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. These things that we hold true and dear as good and important, we are to not only teach them to our children, but really get it ingrained in their life. How about this? This one more has a feeling of what your mother would say. Take care of your stuff, right? Be responsible. Be financially responsible. Genesis 2.15, now we're really at the beginning. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God has given us stuff to do. Now, our, our friends that take care of the lawn here and the, and the gardens and all that, they experience this literally. But everything that we have is from him. And we are to be a good steward. That's kind of a churchy word, but it just means responsible. Take care of the things that are given to you. Luke 18, 20, 30 just gives good advice. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. These are Jesus' words. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation, you're not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Are you not able to finish it? They're saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. There's importance and value in financial responsibility. And certainly we must consider our laws, like our our laws of society. It's illegal to steal. It's illegal to kill, right? Duh. Among other things. But these were literally inscribed in the tablets carried by Moses and the Israelites. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. The root basis of all that we know to be good and right and acceptable is found in God's word, comes from him. The list is much stronger, but you can see the basis for these things. Of course, we've been given the gift of free will, and we're like, yes, that feels good. But that allows us to choose otherwise. You do not have to love others. Or you do not even have to treat them well. You do not have to be responsible for the care and treatment of your parents or children or anyone else for that matter. You don't have to. You should, but you don't have to. And you do not have to be good stewards of the things that you have pursued and collected as income and possessions. But I assure you there are consequences both here and in God's kingdom for the choices we all make. In Hebrews 12, 1 Apostle Paul for Paul says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I think about this. We know God's everywhere, but he talks about this cloud of witnesses. I think of this stadium kind of following us around, cheering for us when we do right. Maybe not booing, but you've got all those eyes on you. He says, let us, because we're being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Doesn't it feel good to have them cheering for you? Matthew 6, 19, I I won't even read this whole thing because we know, it says, do not store for yourself things here on earth, things that rust and get eaten and and lose value, you know, and can be stolen. So put the things up there and ends with, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These are godly principles. But even this great country of ours was conspicuously, conspicuously founded on these Christian principles. The phrase, in God we trust, is our motto and is prominently printed on our U.S. currency. And likewise, the Pledge of Allegiance contains what words? One nation under God. 
And the Declaration of Independence self reads, all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator, by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God delights when we pursue life, living abundantly, he calls it, liberty, right? And the pursuit of happiness within the guidelines of his will. But here we are, June 20th, 2021. It's Father's Day. Almost 250 years since the founding of our nation. Over 2,000 years since the birth and resurrection of our Savior. And countless years since the creation of mankind. Where we were able to walk in step in the perfect, beautiful garden of his design with God himself. Now I've titled this message, The Father You've Always Wanted. And that is not an affront to your biological father. Maybe you're blessed like me to have an amazing man as your father. My hope is that you have been blessed have a godly father or a godly man of influence in your life. But I would like to pause here for a moment and address those who may not be able to, to make that statement. In fact, there's a, a movement to remove gender from scripture completely and, and among that, even words like God the Father. And I'm absolutely not joking about that. But as a part of the explanation in that, in addition to being gender insensitive, it may actually be deemed as abusive and I never thought of that, as abusive to those who have suffered by an absent or abusive father. And if that is you, God knows your pain. And there is an assurance in his word that you, what you experience is not the plan he had for you and is not the plan he had for your father. And I pray that that's no one in this room that I'm talking to, but perhaps someone online. And again, it's this double-edged sword of free will that gives us a freedom to do as God wills or to not do as God wills. And it is simply one or the other. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. And I hope you know my heart and that I value all genders, race, backgrounds, etc. Like anyone else, I strive to view all people through the eyes of God. And I want to assure you that, that when I refer to God as the Father and Jesus Christ as his Son is because that is what Scripture says. And the same Scripture gives us very clear instructions on the value and roles of every person, male or female. It's not a disparity against anybody else. God has clearly said what a good father is and he demonstrates it and what a good mother is. And those characteristics are still characteristics of God, right? Now, it's a tradition for me to share messages on Mother's Day and Father's Day and they're usually titled God's Plan for Mothers or God's Plan for Fathers. And, and this year I took a slightly different approach. And if you'd like to hear any of those traditional things, there they are online. I think 135, I think I counted of the 182 messages are available on the podcast. I can't believe that. So if you have 60 hours to spend, go knock yourself out. Um, God bless you guys for listening to them, you know, 23 minutes at a time each week here. But if you'd like to hear a more traditional message about the role of mothers and fathers, I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast or, or better yet, dive into God's word. Okay, it's fairly clearly laid out and discover for yourself as you seek his guidance. And on a slightly different note, on Mother's Day this year, we talked about viewing our God as our provider and not focusing on provisions. We then related this to the view of our mothers and view them as God sees them. Not just what they can do for us, but who God created them to be. For Father's Day, I want to go back to the basics of what makes God a good father. So we who are men, whether we have biological children or not, can aspire to do be the same. While we obviously admire God and likely our own dads, let's take some time this morning to see what it takes to be a good father. 
And to prove my earlier point that of how we as a society use scripture as our moral compass for what is good and right, even if we don't recognize that's the source, I'm going to use the aspects of a good father as defined by modern psychology. And then we're going to read the scripture basis for each. I'm not going to necessarily mention each scripture, but I'd be happy to share where, where these are found in God's word. But they agree that a good father is a good disciplinarian. And now as a parent, you're like, okay, I understand why. But maybe you have to think about that. Because you, if you're going to raise your children to do right, to remain on the right path, they've got to have some structure, some limitations. Now, we know that God is a good father because he is just with his discipline. He is fair. And, and it is more than punishment. It's for protection. These, these commandments, these laws, they're loving limits, Okay. They're to keep us safe from sin and those things out there that can fill our life with stuff that that takes up space where he belongs. It says a good father allows his kids to make mistakes. Now, I think this is the reason why God gives us free will. I'm gonna let you make a mistake so you can understand the power of grace. The apostle Paul says, who who was basically, by all accounts, a, a horrible person until God literally opened his eyes. And it was Paul that said, I am a big sinner. He goes, and he was talking about how, how Jesus had come to fix all sinners. And he says, of which I am, I am the most, you know. And, and he says, but I don't boast in this. He said, but I boast in the amount of grace. Because the more forgiveness, the more mistakes I make that God forgives, the more grace there is required and the more that I can boast about what a good loving father he is. A good father accepts his kids and that they are not exactly like him. Now, maybe you like your children to be just like you. Maybe you'd like your kids to be, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But God says, I want you to be like me. I want you to be like my son. And where there's a gap there, I'm going to show you grace and mercy. But my expectations are not going to change. Psychologists agree that a good father spends time and is engaged with their children. Well, I want to promise you that God wants a personal relationship with you. To that end, he sacrificed his own son on the cross so that you could have that kind of relationship with him. And more importantly, this relationship is an eternal relationship. Good father has patience to listen, right? Maybe that's where we as fathers sometimes struggle. But like I said, your father wants to hear from you. All it takes is a prayer. And the Father leads by example. We know from Scripture, it says, forgive as I have forgiven. Love as I have loved. And even Scripture says, take a good measure. And he said, not just whatever it is, but he says, a good measure to the full, packed down, still overflowing. That is the measure I'm going to use. So if you want God's grace, if you want God's mercy, you want God's forgiveness, God's love, then you better find the biggest measure of love for another person you can and pack that down and overflow it. And God's going to outdo you every single time. Every time. Our God is supportive and loyal. He's a source of encouragement. Also the sign of a good father. He, uh, when we speak to him and we listen for his response, we watch for his response in, in what happens in the world. So many of the, the, the promises we claim as being fulfilled as answered or his way of showing I'm loyal, I'm trustworthy, I'm faithful, just as his word promises. 
So read his word and, and seek his counsel and seek the counsel of, of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Good father challenges children and teaches them lessons. Now God teaches us through his written word and through the lessons of life, right? Onto the job training. We get beat up a little bit, but don't you learn? Isn't when your faith stretched a little bit and you meet it and your faith grows that you're stronger for having gone through that? You know, when we were doing a study on Sunday morning about um, where the light gets in, and it gave this example of, of teaching a young child to walk, and that just stuck with me, so I share it often. And he says, as parents, we try to teach our infants to walk. And the idea is at some point, they don't rely on you and they walk on their own. But with God, it's the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. He says, stop walking on your own. Rely on me. Let me carry you. Let me hold you. Let me support you. I'm not a crutch in the sense of, of, of weakness on your part, but of support. It says a good father shows unconditional love. And last week we talked about the different types of love as described in Greek. And one of them was the word agape, agape love, unconditional, true, deep, unending love. That's the love that your God, your father has for you. And you know this, our, our children test us in our love sometimes, right? And you, you still love them. You may not like them very much. You may not like what they're doing, but you love your children. God blows that away with what he does. Of course, God is a provider. All that we have, all of creation, everything you can see, taste, touch, smell, and experience, that is thanks to God. You know, we're, we're a good father provides for his family. He does what he needs to do to put food on the table and make sure that things get done so that we as children have what we need. Not everything we want. And God the Father does the same thing. Everything you need. Everything you need. Is there anything else that, that makes a good father? I tell you, one of the things I've always appreciated about my parents, and I, I, I appreciate it then, but not to the level I do now. Um, and certainly, I think it was one of my high school reunions when everybody said, um, how are your parents? because my parents were there. They were there. They were at my swim meets. My friends knew them, you know? And, and I strive to do the things with, same thing with my kids, even my stepkids. I became a softball dad. I had never been to a softball game in my life. And I don't know if you know anything about softball moms. I'll say it anyway. They are catty. <laughs> they, are, they are mean. And I was welcomed in because I knew so little about the sport they could mold me into the... the <laughs> Am I wrong? No, she's, she knows she's one. She knows. But that is so fun about being a parent. And God wants to do the same thing. There's nowhere you can go that God doesn't want to be there, can't be there with you. But there are places. If we go to those places, those dark places, those sinful places, those things, he says, I'm holy, I can't go there. I can't walk into that place. I can't go in that mindset with you. So, so stay here with me. That's what he says. But your father wants to be involved and engaged. Now, there are certainly different uh, roles of, of fathers. And certainly, as, as, as time has gone on, there, there have been, unfortunately, marriages aren't what they used to be, you know. And there are a lot of people like me that are stepfathers. And maybe you can understand this blessing of being a stepfather. And, and Scripture says, and this is uh, Matthew um, eighteen fifteen, is that right? 
Yeah. Um, and it says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, now he, this is Jesus' words. He's talking about young children, and then the disciples are kind of keeping him at a distance. But when I hear that scripture, I, th- I think, you know what? I, I intentionally chose to propose to Sherry. She intentionally said yes, right? Thank you. Um, I mean, I'm putting her on the spot now, but she had total free will then um, <laughs> after I bought her dinner. Um, <laughs> story for another time. Um, but our kids didn't choose that. You know, certainly was in our mind as you're an adult and you're, and you're marrying and you're blending this family, you're, you're like, but man, did I get lucky. And I think you did too. I mean, we have amazing kids together. So being a father, being a stepfather allows me two more children, two more children. And, and I'm not going to speak to what kind of father that, that they have or should have or anything like that. I can only speak for my responsibility. But another type is an adoptive father. And these are amazing, amazing people. If you've adopted, again, you have chosen that child. And the Bible describes us as God's adopted children. It's, it's Ephesians 5, 1, 5. It says, he predestined us for adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his goodwill and pleasure. He chose to adopt you as his child. And if you read the little fine print and those little A's and B's in the scripture all the way down, you'll see this is a legal term in Roman times that says they are fully inherited. They are fully vested as your child. And that is the description that he's giving of God the Father is adopting you. He's adopted. You aren't the, you aren't the, 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 the whatever you know, you'd want to describe as someone who's just kind of a, a second choice or anything. He says, I intentionally want you as my child. So much that I'm sending my son to get you for me. And I think there's a special place in God's heart for foster parents. Those who, again, to take a fatherly role. And maybe you're not a true foster, but maybe you are a mentor. And I know a lot of people in this room have that kind of role. Even the women in this room have that kind of role. That is so important. So important. But I've titled this message, The Father You've Always Wanted. It really should be titled, The Father You've Always Had. Do you recognize God as your father? Are you honoring, respecting him for who he is? Not just what he's done or what you hope him to do, but who he is. And do you see some of these traits in your biological father? And for us men, do you, do you see these in yourself? Do you thank him that he is engaged and a good listener and caring and a good teacher and even disciplining? Do you thank your father for that? Moms, wives, sisters, friends, are you helping us by lovingly and respectfully holding us accountable to be the men of God that we are called to be? I assure you that we need God's guidance and, and help, and we need your support because there's a lot of competition for everyone's attention in this world. A lot of things and a lot of groups that want to be the main influence in our lives and in the lives of our children. But there is just one source of truth. One source of hope and one example of, to follow. He is the father you've always wanted. He is the father you've always needed. He's the father you've always had. And he is a good, good father. And he wants to hear from you. He wants to be that for you. Just say yes. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for 
the love, the support, your presence, your sacrifice, your grace, your mercy, and even the discipline. Father, like any good father, you are just wanting to us to be the best we can be. But God, unlike anybody here on earth, you know what that means. You have created us each individually with a plan and a purpose and, and a future that you says is good. Lord, help us to cast off all those things that hinder us, that get in the way, that entangle us, ensnare us, distract us. And help us all, fathers, mothers, children, men, women, help us all to be your child, your chosen, special, treasured child. Again, I just want to close by thanking you for who you are, for this wonderful church, this congregation, the loving support, those who are listening to this message here and those who listen online, I thank you. I ask your blessing over them. Let us continually be reminded and, and ever more aware this week of the role you play as father to us, your children. In your son's name we pray, amen.